everyone. Welcome to my podcast, Life Beyond Religious Trauma. Faith and religion can be a consoling, supportive experience for lots of people. But for me, it was pure hell. From the time I was around four years old till later in my teens, I was sexually abused by Catholic priests and others in the Worcester Diocese and surrounding Diocese of Massachusetts. I was used in a child sex porn ring that produced videos here and abroad. Please join me as I share my healing journey from religious trauma through reimagining my faith as well as inspiring insight from interfaith into spiritual experiences. Listen to the wisdom provided by other survivors, therapists, and spiritual guides and others in thoughtful and provocative conversations. Thank you so much for supporting this podcast. And please share it with others who you may feel might benefit from it. Hi, welcome to Life Beyond Religious Trauma, Layers of Healing. Russ and Carl is still here with us today, but I want to start with um, the beginning of the healing. It took my child to bring me back to healing. I had a wake-up call when I realized I was about 155 pounds. Couldn't do a thing. My addiction to food was the worst. I needed to face what I was running from. So I started the process to have gastric bypass with the recommendation of my doctor. And also during that program, they said that I should go to therapy because the fact that the marriage probably had a very small chance of surviving. So I was trying to do what I could to make my family better. I had gastric bypass and I lost over 50 pounds beforehand, but a total of 200 pounds. And everything was looking better. But despite that, my marriage did end. But we slowly became friends for my child's sake. But in the healing process, despite the time in therapy, I knew I had a lot of work to do. I stopped it and I decided to get into a short relationship that ended in a pregnancy with my other child. And it was a miracle because I tried to have a baby for over 10 years. Um, my house was in totally need of repair. Um, I had to trust God because during the time of the divorce, the house was $80,000 underwater and it should have been condemned. So, thank goodness for my parents who helped me bring everything back to the original condition that it should have been my house. And they were only two miles down the road. So it made a good support system for me and my two children, um, which I ended up having. Um, the next two years was completely a challenge in my faith. Um, it took me to look at my daughter ready to have her own faith to go back. We were caring for my very sick grandmother at the time and I was paying a 
attention to how to skip going to mass due to the fact caring for my grandmother all the time she was like are you going to church can the priest come to visit me and I tried to skip out of mass any way I could at the time of my other child's baptism I started to think seriously about going to church it was a very slow process it was the same parish of my parents with the convincing of my mother she wanted us to go to the same parish I got very involved I um, enjoyed the parish very much I thought the priest was very knowledgeable and very kind but my kindness was misconstrued as being very sexual towards him I was devastated even the bishop of my diocese had judgment of me and told me not to go back to the parish it was a huge huge crush for my whole family it destroyed my older child um, she did get confirmed in the faith but she really is not practicing anymore because of it even wrote the bishop a letter and I heard nothing and he actually told me it was my fault for what I did in the parish. So it's very hard for me to be part of my own diocese and have the faith that I wanna have because I have a lot of questions and curiosity in my healing process. And to be rejected and not understood was very hard for me. I do not understand why there is no talk no compassion and no help in this situation with that decision over five years i have decided to educate myself so i can help other people in this same situation i was humiliated embarrassed and short of all my parents moved to a different state so i lost that support too after i felt that the diocese was not supportive at all, even to this day, after the rationale, because of all these triggers and healing process, more and more came out. I realized that the same diocese was the one who caused most of this. There's a father who ran the House of Affirmations. He got together with Bishop Harrison from that same diocese, and they learned how to manipulate poor boys into saying that they raped me when they were not raped. When I watched the videos through the other men showing me, I realized that they were manipulated themselves into being called rapists. I have nightmares over these poor boys and the torturing they were through. It was like they had a gun to their head. Even Cardinal Law blamed me. He said, I bought heresy to his church and he had to help um, the hospital find ways to get rid of the problems I caused. I blame myself. A lot of them told me that I was better off dead, gave me examples of how to do it. Survivor blaming is so much of an issue. I really, really wish that people 
would learn more how to realize that there is so much to healing in sexual abuse, never mind spiritual abuse. As just as therapist, I'm struck by the process that she talks about in terms of the layers. And she talks about issues relating to her family, issues relating to taking care of a house that she's responsible for, issues about uh, taking care of her children, both physically and spiritually, and, and guiding them. Um, and, and what's striking is that in relation to the church, how her kindness is misinterpreted as being uh, sexually provocative or something like that. And, um, and, and there's no um, possibility of dialogue about that. In other words, the, the reaction of church officials is, is punitive or judgmental rather than being conversational about what happened and so forth. So, and I know this is really dear to Jess. She talks about wanting to establish that kind of dialogue with uh, clergy and religious in the church and she's had a difficult in the work that I've been doing with Jess I've been trying to help her understand the layers of the whole of our person that are involved in healing because all those layers are damaged uh, and so there's a, there's a what I call a psycho-spiritual level, a psychological and social level, what's called a psychobiological level, and a biological level. And on every one of those levels, things happen as a result of trauma. And, and so when you think about healing, you have to think in terms of, going at, of, of finding out what was damaged and wounded and healing that particular thing. I can give you simple examples on the psychosocial and, so, and psychological social level. Coping systems are completely overwhelmed during trauma. So, so in general, the person tends to react and they have difficulty staying calm. They get triggered very, very easily. They have difficulty staying calm and thinking things clearly through because they're, they're it's, it's well, using Schwartz's idea, the, the wounded parts of them sweep in and protectors come, rise up to protect the self from those wounded parts. And that overwhelms the person. So they can't really think very clearly. So again, from my perspective, the process of healing involves going to all these levels, not, not in, a, in, a, in a sequential way, but, but as you work through things, you're gonna to touch on all those levels. Hi, this is Father Carl, uh, a spiritual companion to Jess and her journey of healing. And I think uh, for me, uh, I'd like to say something a little bit off her story about how she had been re-traumatized uh, within a church uh, context in the church community over successive years afterwards. And part of the problem here is, of course, uh, from the point of, point of view, 
generally speaking, of course, from the bishops of the United States and every pastor in this country, uh, there is the utmost concern for accountability uh, to survivors uh, because of clergy abuse. And there's an utmost concern about being present in their healing and a resource in their healing. Uh, but a lot of times these kinds of things fall through the, fall, fall through the cracks. And uh, in Jess, Jess's case, uh, this has definitely been her case with regard to her experience in church. Now, after being abused by member leadership in the church and then coming back to church and wanting to be, wanting to be in the community and to nurture a spiritual life, her spiritual hunger that's kind of driven her in that direction, and then to have these experiences where a kind of re-traumatization goes on where leaders in the church in one way or another uh, re-abuse emotionally. And I think my, first of all, I've, in my experience with Jess, it was somewhat of an awkward experience for me because I am also a leader in the church and, uh, and I share a kind of collective guilt with that, with regard to cases like this. And I've dealt with um, abuse cases in the church since 2008. Uh, and so, but at the same time, uh, it's also an opportunity for me, aside from that, to be able to, uh, to be one of those church leaders that is compassionate and is listening and is with her in all of this. So a lot of my time has been spent, um, especially in these re-traumatization experiences just had at uh, this one church, where she was asked to actually leave a parish, which seemed to me odd that that could ever take place. Uh, and to all of a sudden, uh, for her to go through this experience as if it was, um, as, if it, as if the trauma was happening all over again on an emotional level. So I think what I tried to do in this case was to be sympathetic uh, with Jess, uh, to, to be apologetic as well, uh, and that, that there are other experiences of church than what she has experienced that can be positive and um, spirit-filled and hopeful and, and a source of healing. Uh, and in a lot of ways, Jess has been trying to do that. She has this deep, powerful, spiritual hunger uh, that she's looking, that's driving her all, in all of these ways. Uh, and uh, trying to be with her as she does, does, does this journey has been a big challenge for me too. But I think um, even though we as leaders in the Catholic Church can be inconsistent with survivors, uh, we can also bring these things to our attention and to help us to understand um, that we need to do better. And, uh, and to find ways to make amends and to go forward with survivors uh, in, uh, in a spirit of compassion, in empathy and companionship. You know, what victims need most is to be believed by their society, family and friends, to not be faulted, to know that they perpetrator is responsible, to not be attacked 
when they report abuses, to know that others will be protected and other victims will also get help, uh, to know that they were wronged and that justice will prevail, to not be viewed as troublemakers, uh, to have their victimization and courage honored. And, you know, Father Carl, you spoke about this, and I have experienced this too. Her compassion in the teeth of her abuse is astonishing. So, um, and to have, and the other, going back to what I was saying, is uh, to have the opportunity to heal, uh, to receive an apology, Father Carl talked about that, be accepted by their community and know that they are loved by God. And one of the big pieces in this list here is they, is they have a passion to create justice. And Jess has talked about, talks about that many times. Uh, she is passionate about people, about being able to tell the truth and being able to have the violation that happened be acknowledged, you know, uh, to be able to name the abuse um, and to have someone listen to and suffer with her as she reports and talks about her experiences in, in abuse. And I think, Father Carl, you've done a lot of that. I've had the privilege of doing that with Jessica as well. And it's a very powerful thing. For my part in this discussion today, I'd like to read something that I often read to people that I work with who've been traumatized. It comes from the Hindu Bhagavad Gita. And it goes, Some say this soul is slain, and others call it the slayer. They know nothing. How can it slay, or who shall slay it? Know this soul, unborn, undying, never ceasing, never beginning, deathless, birthless, unchanging forever. How can it die, the death of the body? Knowing it birthless, knowing it deathless, knowing it endless, forever changing. Dream not you do the deed of the killer. Dream not the power is yours to command it. Worn out, worn out garments are shed by the body. Worn out bodies are shed by the dweller within the body. New bodies are donned by the dweller, like garments, not wounded by weapons, not burned by fire, not dried by the wind, not wetted by water. Such is the soul. Not tried, not wetted, not burned, not wounded, innermost element, everywhere, always, being of beings, changeless, eternal, forever and ever. That passage is dear to me. And like I said, I read it to people that have been traumatized because it says that there's a part of you that is unwounded and ready to heal. Hi, thank you for this wonderful time. I am very grateful for um, Russ and Father Carl, especially with Father Carl, the way you express the guilt I really do not think you have an apology. You go above and beyond for survivors. So does the Boston Diocese. They've been wonderful with me, especially what happened to me in the surrounding diocese. Very supportive, very understanding. Went with me through that whole emotional hard time. And I thank them because my own diocese abandoned me. Um, there was a parish that was good, but I ended up 
not feeling comfortable because I got the same feeling, the same judgment was at that same parish. And I just don't want that kind of judgment that I'm being sexual with priest. That's the last thing I want. And also, um, Cardinal Sean O'Malley, he has taught me so much, which will probably be in the next episode, The Angry Bee Lady, which will be a fun episode, but also um, really hard with the healing that happened while I stayed in the church for the past five years. Um, and also, the Pope's message in his new book, What I'm Asking in the Name of God, to discontinue paying to stop the statue of limitations. Because as I say in the next episode, the more I was re-triggered, the more stuff came back. And that is crucial for you to know by survivors. We might not know the full story right away, and it comes back with time.